Hello, neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church podcast, and we are so glad you're here. Our church meets at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person, or you can catch our gatherings after the fact on our YouTube channel. We would love to hear from you. In 2022, we are studying the Bible together through the lens of our theme, Life is a Garden. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. So we've been in the middle of a series uh, called, like, just talking about gardens in the Bible. And we, we kicked off early on talking about, oh, Alex, can you, can you get my, there we go. So life is a garden. And we spent the first couple months just in like the first three chapters of Genesis, um, trying to just hear the melody of the story that God is going to tell for the rest of Scripture. And I love the concept of, again, like, a, like when you go to a movie and you hear that melody at the very beginning of the movie, and over time you'll hear it pop back up over and over again, never in the same way, but always kind of the, the same tune, just coming at it from a different direction. And that's exactly what's happening in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God is setting the melody of the story, giving us this, this good God who creates a good world, um, who creates humanity to live in this world, co-partnering with him to rule and reign in this heaven and earth environment together. And it's a beautiful picture, right? It's like this, this uh, maybe this hope that we all have somewhere deep inside of our bones of like, yes, that's exactly what we were made for. But the story, it takes a turn early on. And so humanity is given a choice to listen to the wisdom of God and to continue to experience what true life is by taking from his wisdom, taking from this other tree of life that he offers, or to set out on their own and take of their own wisdom and decide right and wrong in their own eyes. And as we know, that's the direction they go and the consequences are the world we live in today. Um, but God, in his reckless love, he's, he's not going to give up on humanity. Over and over again, he chooses uh, certain representatives who will continue that storyline of the melody of a chosen one who will enter some sort of suffering and test and come out the other side and create new life or new creation out of it. And so from Genesis 3.15, where we have been promised this one who will ultimately crush the head of the serpent, we're waiting for that person. And so we set that melody early on, and, and we've looked at a couple characters who have kind of filled into that, that melody. We looked at Noah, who um, the world, again, is corrupt, and God lets the world kind of deconstruct uh, on itself. The waters come crushing back down, but he chooses a, a one who will, through the, the choosing of a, a, the, the, the salvation vehicle of a tree, come out of the chaos waters on the other side and set up an altar to God. Um, and we think, okay, Noah, he's, this, he's the one, right? He's the savior figure we've been waiting for. But then, you know, some sketchy things happen in his tent, and we're like, okay, he's not the one. Then we moved on out of that to look at Abram, that God calls Abram out of the many and says, hey, you're going to be my chosen one. 
and you're going to be a blessing, not just to your family, but to all of the nations. And so Abram, he faces 10 tests throughout his life. Some he passes, some he doesn't pass, but his ultimate one is in the binding of his own son and trusting that what God asks is what is good. And, um, and so we looked at that two weeks ago, the binding of Isaac. And looked how it is like this precursor of a, a father willing to give up the life of his son and the, the son willing to give up his life for the will of the father and, um, and how that's mirrored in the New Testament. And so, again, but you look at Abram and he is, he's, you know, he's a mixed character. Sometimes he passes, sometimes he doesn't. And so he's not the one. Now, what we have to do today is we have to skip so much because um, Jesus, this Sunday, we celebrate Jesus his triumphal entry into Jerusalem as people are putting down palm branches on the road, crying out, Hosanna, you know, welcome the son of David, the king of kings. Like he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. And so today we're going we're gonna to skip forward to the, to the Jesus part of the story um, for the next couple weeks and kind of see the near the ending. And then after that, we'll kind of go back and hopefully fill in some of the gaps. But if you haven't been here and you want to hear that full story, you can go to our website, newgarden.church slash 2022. All those lessons and slides and stuff are online. But like I said, today we're skipping forward to Jesus, okay? And Mark, who is probably the first gospel written, uh, the shortest gospel, doesn't give us a lot of what Jesus had to say, but a lot of what Jesus did, a lot of his actions. He speaks through his actions. Um, he, he starts out his gospel saying, this is the good news of the Messiah. Um, this is the one we've been waiting for. And before Jesus comes on the scene, his cousin John comes on the scene, quoting from Isaiah, saying, hey, I'm here to prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the paths, you know, smooth out the hills, make, make ready, because Jesus is coming. And he's baptizing people. And so Jesus comes to be baptized by John. And again, John, Mark, he doesn't give us a lot of details, but what he gives us is so saturated with the story that we have been reading in the Old Testament that we can expound on it quite a bit. So here, here's how it is. So in those days, while John is doing his thing, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he, Jesus, saw the heavens being ripped apart and the spirit like a dove descending upon him, and a voice came from the heavens, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. So again, for those of us who have been here, this should start ringing some of those, those bells of the melody. If you think about the stories that we've looked at where you have these, these waters and the spirit come, comes and is hovering over the waters like a bird or a dove or a wind. You know, you got that in the creation narrative. You've got that post-Noah. Um, if you look at Moses, it's the same word. That it's like God sends a wind or a ruach, a spirit over the waters and separates the, the sea of reeds for the people. And once again, we have Jesus, this anointed one, and he's in the waters. The, the heavens are split apart and the spirit, once again, is coming down, hovering over the waters. And so we get this it's like a, it's a new creation picture that is happening that's starting to, you know, it's like hitting those little notes that, from the page one of Scripture. And this voice comes. And th these words, again, we have, we've read in the Old Testament over and over 
Again, the beloved son, this is the words that Abraham speaks of Isaac. He is my son, my only son, my beloved son. And you, I'm well pleased, piecing together different, different parts of the Psalms. And so God is speaking the language of the Old Testament over his son, Jesus. So Jesus, he comes, he's baptized. It's like his anointing almost to start his ministry. And in the other gospels, you know, we could, we could talk more, but it's almost a question of, does Jesus know who he is? And when does he know exactly what his role is? And it seems as if his baptism, it is that exclamation point from the father of, hey, you know the Old Testament. You, you've seen the scriptures. You know where you were born, how you were born. You, you've known all these things. And now this is almost like a, yes, you are my son. You are my chosen one. Um, you are the, the Noah, the Adam, the Abraham, the David, the Ruth, the Esther. You are the one who is going to fulfill a purpose for me. And so what happens next in Mark's gospel, immediately, Mark uses that word all the time, immediately, the Spirit brought him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. Now, when I took, uh, when I was in college, I had to take some Greek classes, and in our third semester in Greek readings, I remember this verse specifically because this word brought him um, is in the Greek, it's the Greek word ekbalo. Um, which balo means to throw or cast out, and ek is like a preposition meaning out. And so it's ek, out, balo, throw. And balo is easy because, you know, you like throw a ball. It's like one of the only Greek words that was easy to remember. And so when we were translating this, I remember translating it, you know, the Spirit threw him into the wilderness. And uh, our, my professor, Mr. Williams, he was like... Uh, yeah, I don't know if that's the sense. Like, he's not picking up and throwing him into the wilderness. But I think I was actually right. Um, because it has this connotation, that the ekbalo, in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, when the, when the Jews translated their Hebrew scriptures into the Greek, they had to choose certain words from the Hebrew into the Greek. And in the Genesis account, when it talks about God, casting Adam and Eve out of the garden, it uses this exact same word, ekbalo. So he, he casts them out. He ekbalos them. And this is the word that Mark chooses to give us a sense of what the Spirit does to Jesus. He ekbalos him. He casts him out into the wilderness. Now, if you, if you think about it, the Bible is doing so many things, we've said, on different levels, connecting different storylines, all converging on Jesus. But it, sometimes it inverts them to give us a new picture. So if you think about this, the story of Adam and Eve starts with them in the garden with the animals, and they are co-ruling with God. That's the picture that you get. They're, like they're in that good setting. And then they go through this test, the test of the trees. What are they going to decide? They choose, uh, unfortunately, to go against God's will, and then they are ekbaloed out into the wilderness. And so that's their storyline. They're with the animals, they're tested, and then they enter the wilderness. But what Mark does, and in Jesus' story, it's actually reversed. Jesus is first ekbaloed into the wilderness. He didn't do anything yet to deserve to be exiled into the wilderness, but the Spirit sends him into the wilderness. That's where he is tested, and then we see that he actually passed the test. And because 
He passed the test. He is with the animals in the sense of the animal, he's with the wild animals, and the angels are attending him. Now, a lot of times we, we may read these, and again, I, you know, I read these and I think, oh, that's, not, that's neat. Jesus, he's with the animals. The angels come to hang out with him and stuff. But it's, it's an inversion back to the garden where humanity was called to be the ruler of both the heavens, but also ultimately rule with God over the, or rule over the earth, but ultimately rule with God over the heavens as well. And so you have this picture of Jesus fulfilling this first mandate to co-rule with God. There are only three people in Scripture previously who you have this picture of being at peace with the animals. You have Adam in the garden, you have Noah in the ark, and then you have Daniel with the lions in the, the lion den. And so Jesus is playing the role of a, a new Adam, a new Noah, a new Daniel. And, and also in Daniel, Daniel has this vision of the ancient of days sitting on his throne and the Son of Man comes riding in on the clouds and the angels are there attending to him. And so he is both ruler of the earth but also ruler of the heavens. And so we have, again, this picture of Jesus. He is put into the wilderness to be tested. And when he comes out of that test, he is now fulfilling the picture of Adam and Noah and Abraham and Daniel and all these Old Testament characters that we've been waiting for somebody who will ultimately pass the test. And because he passed the test, he is set up as the son of man figure and the son of God figure that we've been waiting to converge. And so in like one or two verses, Mark weaves together the stories of multiple threads from the Old Testament, multiple characters of the Old Testament, and says in Jesus they all find their fulfillment. Now, what we have been used to in the Old Testament, these characters, they usually do really well, and then something goes wrong, right? Abram sleeps with his servant Hagar, or his wife's servant Hagar. Noah gets drunk in the tent, and weird things happen. David kills another man's, uh, another man to get his wife. And so all these characters have flaws. And so we're wondering about this Jesus. Is Jesus going to be the one who ultimately passes every test? And also that he's in the wilderness for 40 days, which is an allusion to the Israelites being in the wilderness for 40 years, being tested in different ways. And they received the the manna from heaven and the water um, that God provides. And so again, just all these storylines. Now, um, what Mark doesn't give us is all of the details of what happens, all of the different temptations. But Matthew and Luke do. And I'm going to skip over this uh, quote and, and go straight to Matthew. So this is the last temptation uh, in Matthew. But again, the, the devil, the accuser, took Jesus to a very high mountain. All right, if you've been with us, you know, like high mountains and trees. These are places where God works took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the accuser said to him, listen, all of these things I'll give you if you fall down and worship me. Which, you know, again, if you think about it, this is, this is what God's ultimate will is for Jesus. The, as the creator of all things, ultimately to set up rule and to have dominion over all of the kingdoms. The kingdoms of heaven and earth. Like the, the goal here is, seems like the same. 
But the means don't justify the end in Jesus' mind because Jesus knows, I know what my, my ultimate goal is, but what matters is not just that I get there, but how I get there. Because the devil, you know, he's tricky and he's saying, listen, God wants this for you, right? God wants, wants this for you, so just take it. It's like him talking to the woman in the garden. Hey, listen, the fruit looks good. God wants you to be wise. God wants you to be like him. This is an avenue to accomplish that. And unfortunately, the, the human and his wife, they take and say, yeah, I want that. You know, the devil's singing Sheryl Crow. Um, what was the song? If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad, right? So it's, it's like, hey, if it makes you happy, take it. Do what's good in your own eyes. And so, and so we're, we're like on the edge of our seats. Is Jesus going to do what every human has done up until this point and say, yes, I'll do what's good in my own eyes? This is how Jesus responds. Get away. Get behind me. Go away. It is written, you shall worship Yahweh your God and serve him only. So the devil left him, and again, the angels come and serve him. And so we're like, yes, okay. Another piece of the puzzle comes together in Jesus. He is the one anointed as the Savior, uh, spoken of uh, to the Father. The Spirit comes down on him. He's passing the test. He's, he's fulfilling the mandate. He's the new Adam. He's the new Noah. He's, new, he's fulfilling all these pictures. He's overcoming the serpent in different ways. Now, we, you read through the scriptures. He's, he's bringing new creation in different ways through healing, through teaching, through setting up a, this new kingdom on earth. But again, he knows, I think, he knows that to get to that goal, he's ultimately going to have to make a sacrifice. He's going to have to, he's going to, have to enter some kind of suffering. Um, Chris, he loves the book of Job, and I sent him this two-hour lecture on the book of Job this week, which was so good because um, the speaker talked about how Job is, is just another Another uh, re retelling of the same melody about a, a righteous one who enters unjust suffering but does not give up their integrity and comes out the other side um, in order to bring forgiveness to the nations. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly, that's the melody. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. A righteous chosen one who enters suffering unjustly. It's ultimately going to lead to his death but through his death lead to his vindication and forgiveness for all people. And so Jesus, he comes to the night before he goes to the cross. And he comes to a table with his disciples. And he takes this, this meal that they have been sharing for a thousand years, remembering what God has done to deliver them um, from Egypt. And he transforms it into, this is my body and this is my blood. And they're confused. They don't know what's going on. And they, he says, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And that's the way it's going to happen. And then they sing a hymn, and then they go out to a hill. And John actually calls it a garden. But in the other uh, Gospels, this is what Matthew says. So Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, which means kind of like oil press. So there are all these like olive trees around. It's dark. They're, they've just had a, a big meal. You know, their bellies are full. It's in the wee early hours of the morning or the late hours of the night, depending on how you, you, know, you feel about that. And he says to his disciples, sit here, I'm going to go over there and pray. And he took Peter, 
and the two sons of Zebedee with him and began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little bit beyond them and he fell on his face, prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, he's on a hill surrounded by trees and he's facing a test. The test is, am I going to choose what is good in my own eyes to save myself? Or am I going to submit my will to that of the Father? And so far up to this point, Jesus has passed every test. And this is one of the, the final pictures. And it's not easy. He is, he is sweating blood. He is grieved. He is struggling. He has his friends, pray for me. I'm going over here to pray. And he's struggling. Like, how, how do I do this? But ultimately, he says, your will. Then he came to his disciples. He found them sleeping. Poked them. Peter, you couldn't even keep watch one hour? Keep watching and praying so that you don't fall into the test. Okay? So that you don't come into this temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So again, he went away a second time, prayed, saying, Father, if this cup cannot pass away unless I drink from it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy. He left them this time, and he went away. He prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. Behold, the one who is betraying me is near. Jesus, on a hill, surrounded by trees, falls on his face, and faces a test. Am I going to reach out and take of the fruit that looks good in my own eyes and save myself, or am I going to submit my will to that of the Father? And at every turn, Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. Which sounds familiar, because this is the exact prayer that he taught everybody to pray. When he's standing on the, the mountainside, giving them this new law of the kingdom, he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I know I've mentioned this before, but the on earth as it is in heaven relates to all three of these. So hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus has been praying this prayer, teaching this prayer to his, to his apostles, his disciples, all these people of saying, Listen, when it comes down to it every day, my prayer is, is, God, your will be done. Let your tree of life stand and let us reach out for that instead of reaching out for our own tree of life. Take care of us. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And don't lead us into the test. Like, if it's at all possible, don't put us in that situation where we have to decide. But if we do, if we are in the moment of the test, deliver us from the evil one. When the Satan is whispering in our ears trying to deceive us, let us turn our ear towards you. When the, the Satan lifts up this tree of the knowledge of good and bad that we can reach out, let us turn to the, your tree of life 
and pass the test. Jesus came to do the work that humanity could not. He passes the test on our behalf, reuniting us with God and restoring us to our divine purpose and the ideal of the garden. That when we give ourselves over to Jesus, we are ultimately putting ourselves under the fact that he passed the test, knowing I can't do it. I fail every day in all sorts of situations. But I'm putting my faith in the fact that Jesus did pass the test. And that through his death, his burial, and next week we will will celebrate his resurrection, he opens a new door of life that anybody who walks through every day will face that same test. Hold on, my phone is going to say, thought I was talking to it, and I wasn't. Um, We're going to face the same test. And Jesus gives us the example of bowing our knee and saying, God, today, not my will, but your will be done. While tests we face are rarely easy, they're actually important opportunities for God's people to grow and change so that we can become agents of God's blessing to the world around us. We want to spend time here with Jesus so we can learn to be like Jesus, so we can go out and live like Jesus. Now, I think I've left enough time for us to watch just a a little video about this idea of the test, which gives us a good visual. And once it's finished, we're going to go to the table. We've got two up front, one in the back. Again, it's a meal that has been celebrated for 3,500 years. And this coming uh, weekend or next weekend, Jews around the world will celebrate this meal together. It'll be all kinds of other things included. But each week we do this as a weekly reminder of what Jesus has done. But It's like we are the people in Israel taking the manna and taking the fruit of the vine, remembering all that God has done. And each week it's a reminder that Jesus passed the test. And I don't know what I'm going through right now. I don't know what you're going through right now. But each week, maybe it's just that that simple reminder of Jesus, help me this week pass the test like you did. Um, Once this video is over, feel free to stand and to go to the tables. Okay, let's watch this. The story of the Bible begins with God creating a beautiful world and then sharing it with all of his creatures. And he appoints Adam and Eve to rule it on his behalf. And God gives them access to his wisdom and life, but then tells them that there's one tree they can't eat from because it will lead to death. So they have a choice about how to rule with God. This kind of feels like a test. Well, that's because it is a test. But isn't that kind of cruel for God to test them? Well, not all tests are bad. Let's say there's a king who chooses you to fulfill a royal task because he wants to know if you are trustworthy. Well, I guess that's a test, but really it's an opportunity to do something important and noble. Right. But then let's say there's a rebel who hates the king and you, and he tries to convince you that you would be better off not doing what the king asks. Well, the rebel is setting a trap. Right. So a test could be an opportunity or a trap. And the difference is whether the one testing you has your best interests in mind. I see. And both types of tests appear in the beginning of the Bible. God tells them to eat of the tree of life and not the forbidden tree. Yeah, this is God's test of loyalty. God wants to rule the world with humans as his partners, which means they will need to trust his wisdom over their own. But then a rebel comes and tests them to eat 
of that other tree. Right. The rebel seizes this opportunity and twists it so he can lead the humans into exile and ultimately death. He turns the test into a trap. But after the humans fail, God promises that one day a human will come who will pass the test and defeat the snake. And as the story moves on, God gives a couple named Abraham and Sarah an opportunity to trust him by leaving their family behind to go to a new land where God will use them to restore his blessing to all people. So this is a test. And at first, things go well. But Abraham quickly fails. He lies to protect himself, and then he and Sarah scheme to get a son their own way by abusing one of their servants. Definitely not passing the test. But God doesn't give up on Abraham. He gives him one final opportunity, a test to prove his loyalty. God asks Abraham to go up onto a hill and offer his son as a sacrifice. I can't imagine a more intense test. And Abraham does it. But in the last moment, God stops him and provides a substitute animal in the place of his son. God then says he will fulfill his promise through Abraham's family because he passed this test. So Abraham passed this test, but he hasn't proven to be a fully trustworthy partner. We're still waiting for someone who can pass the ultimate test. Yeah, and as the family of Abraham grows and becomes a nation, God continues to test them. Like when the Israelites wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They have lots of opportunities to trust in God, to provide water or daily bread. But they instead blame God and even say that he trapped them in the desert to kill them. And so the rest of Israel's story in the Hebrew scriptures is pretty much the same. The Israelites don't trust in God and his promise. They're not loyal. And eventually the whole nation fails. So humans have an amazing opportunity to partner with God, but no one is really qualified. And so all of this brings us forward to Jesus. There's a story where Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. Ah, yes, the wilderness. And there he meets a sinister creature who tries to trap him. But Jesus trusts in God's wisdom. And he passes the test. Then later there's a story about Jesus going to pray with some friends, and God commissions him to go up to Jerusalem and to give up his life. And so he goes. And on the night of his arrest, Jesus took his friends and went to a garden. And he told them to pray, because tonight, he said, is the great test. And he prayed to God, please let this test pass from me, but not my desire, rather may your desire be done. In this garden, Jesus shows us what passing the test looks like. He trusted in God's wisdom. He loved others more than himself, and he confronted evil with good. Even though it cost him his life. Right. Jesus offered his own life as a sacrifice to cover for all of the failed tests of his people Israel and of all humanity. Jesus passed the ultimate test on behalf of us all. This is amazing. But that doesn't mean everything is going to be great in our lives. I mean, let's be honest, we're going to face our own tests every day. Right. Jesus said every generation of his followers would have their own tests that will force them to trust God in radical new ways. And these tests can be difficult and often painful. But remember, a test from a good God is an opportunity. This is why James, a leader in the early Jesus movement, said that we should be grateful when we face tests and trials because they offer us a gift 
It's an opportunity to surrender to God's wisdom and to become more like Jesus, the one who loved us and who passed the test on our behalf. That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week.